all pharmacists would agree that the COVID vaccination has basically given us a kick up the bum to get service delivery in the front of our minds. And I think that we need to start looking at those services as businesses themselves and how income is derived through those. Offering all of these free things supplemented by the dispensary income or front of shop income has to change. I don't think it's a sustainable model. And I think that people are increasingly seeing the value in what services we provide, whether that be more efficient access by not having to wait for an appointment with the GP that's not timely, that's probably the biggest one, or accident and emergency, ambulance, where there's huge wait times and a number of those health problems can be solved in a community pharmacy. Really, they can. Hi, I'm John Jones, pharmacist, accredited practicing dietitian and author at My Community Pharmacy in Newcastle, New South Wales. And you're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PDCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. Each September, we celebrate World Pharmacist Day, and this year's theme, United in Action for a Healthier World, showcases pharmacy's positive impact on health right around the world. And here in Australia, we saw this play out with the incredible contribution pharmacists made during the COVID-19 vaccination rollout. Millions of vaccines in arms when we needed it most. The fact that Australians are now one of the most highly vaccinated populations in the world owes a lot to pharmacists. And for that, we say thank you. Today, we are speaking with John Jones, a dietitian cum pharmacist who has been growing his practice, administering opioid substitutions, including depot buprenorphine injections. The legislation on pharmacists providing injections isn't entirely clear, but John's story shows us what can be possible with the right training, systems, facilities, and quality assurance processes. Here's John. John, it's great to have you on the show and thanks for joining us. I understand you were in attendance at Pharmacy Connect in Sydney recently and you joined a panel discussion where you and the panel talked about pharmacies and you were obviously speaking specifically about your pharmacy and what you have been able to achieve there, albeit from all reports, not necessarily easily. And that's the reason that we have you on the show today. So to start off with, John, can you just give us a little bit of an insight into your pharmacy and what makes it different? Thanks, Dan. And it's a pleasure to chat with you about something that I'm passionate about, particularly in pharmacy and pharmacy services, which is is basically what I set the pharmacy up to start with, was to have a focus on healthcare. I'd worked in other pharmacies that did other, I guess, non-healthcare related products and So when I had the opportunity to own my own pharmacy, I made a deliberate decision to, I guess, cut some of that stuff out and focus on what I believed people came into the pharmacy for, and that was good healthcare. And so that was the start of the journey. And so how does that passion grow? What what sort of steps have you gone through to progress to this spot and and how has that passion really been sparked in you? Because it'd be great to hear about that progression. So I graduated uh, as a dietitian 20, God, a lot, long time ago. And so I'd come from that health care service background and I'd spent time working in the public health care system and 
seen things there that, you know, I thought were great and things that I didn't think were great and then had some time in private practice as a dietitian, which was a very interesting time working collaboratively with some good GPs and not so good GPs. And so I think that yin and yang, seeing the, the good and bad sides of, of you know, the healthcare system uh, was a, a good sort of starting point in, in developing that passion about, okay, I don't like that or I like collaboration and how do I bring that into, into pharmacy and, and into the pharmacy that I own. And so that was it. One, one of the key points in my journey, which I can remember very clearly as a doctor, asking me basically to pay her for referrals. And I came home uh, that afternoon from work and I said to my wife, I said, that's it. I'm going back to school and I'm going to become a pharmacist. So that was probably the, you know, the tipping point, the catalyst that was to you know, move on and, and so glad that I did. And I'm grateful for the doctor for doing so because it's sort of put me in, in the place that I'm you know, at today. Why is that a tipping point though? Couldn't you have just said to the doctor, I'm not going to pay for referrals? Why, why go down the path of, of becoming a pharmacist? Because I think that we have a lot autonomy in that sense that we don't um, necessarily have to be dictated to. And in the healthcare system, particularly as an allied health, or I don't like using that term because we're all health professionals, but the hierarchy is that they're the keeper of the gates. And so I think pharmacy gave a, a different option. And so that was probably the thing that I, I sort of thought, well, here's a solution to it. What about the thing that has really sort of kept you engaged over the journey now? You just spoke then about what sort of sparked the passion and, and what made you go down that path. But what sort of kept you there? Is it the same thing or are there different things that you've come to realise that really do make a difference as a pharmacist? And look, I really hate having multiple aspects to a question. So I hate asking sort of two questions in one, but it does dovetail nicely uh, into the second question. So it would be great when you're answering that one, if you could also let us know what you love and you're most challenged by in the field of pharmacy. I think that every day we are in a position where we get to help people. That's probably one of the things. And, and we are able to be empathetic. People trust us. We have an incredible breadth of knowledge, really, which I think sometimes we underappreciate and underestimate how valuable it is to people. And so when someone turns up, we get to put our thinking caps on and we can help come up with you know, solutions or I cannot tell you how many times in, and, and I think every pharmacist out there has a story of a time where they thought, gosh, that doesn't sound right. It doesn't make sense. They've either not dispensed something or they've you know, told the person to go back and get some more tests or see someone else and, and a, a great outcome from it. And I think that every day when we turn up, we have the capacity and the ability to make really big influences in, in people's healthcare. We underestimate it and we certainly undervalue it. And so that's you know another reason why turning up to work every day is great because we really do make a difference to people. You spoke about how you, when you were a dietitian, you're speaking now as a pharmacist, but you're also a pharmacy owner, as I alluded to at the start. And there will be those that are listening 
who dream about owning their own pharmacy. What was the journey from being a pharmacist to being an owner and obviously still a pharmacist? What was that journey like for you and what was it? So it was a tough one. <laughs> like it's incredibly tough. Like if it was easy, everyone would do it. And I think anything worthwhile is worth working hard for. And so it's been a very tough, lots of disappointments. I can imagine there's a lot of people out there who would share a similar experience on their way to ownership that you get disappointed. There's, you know, pharmacy opportunities. And, you know, sometimes those ones you miss are the best ones. It's not always the ones you get that are the, are the ones that, you know, are the right, you know, either the right uh, location or the right community group. But that was a very hard road. I had a period where I'd worked in the pharmacy that I currently own without being paid. So I had four and a half months of working without being paid from the pharmacy. And then I was working weekends as a locum pharmacist to basically, you know, put food on the table and a roof over the head uh, for for my wife and, and kids. So it was an incredibly challenging few months to get there. And then I guess it makes it so rewarding to see, you know, what has been possible with, you know, really creating a great healthcare destination for the people that I serve in, in Shortland. Is Shortland where you've always been based or did owning a pharmacy mean that you had to relocate the wife and the kids? Well, we relocated from Taree, so it's sort of a regional town on um, mid-north coast of New South Wales. And so we moved the family that was before owning a pharmacy. So I was fortunate that I didn't have to relocate again to get uh, into ownership. Um, so Shortland is a uh, community in the Newcastle area. And so fortunately, yeah, I didn't have to leave and, and pull the family up. John, let's talk more about your pharmacy, which we touched on earlier and and you've woven it through your answers so far. I know that when the phrase full scope is mentioned, it often brings about a bit of an understandable reaction that, well, we're already at full capacity. How could we physically or possibly do more in a pharmacy? You're a great example of where it's clear you are working with your passion and effective to your capacity, but not necessarily doing everything, not practicing absolutely everything on the list. You have found a a bit of a niche, so to speak. So without giving away too many business secrets, can you speak about that niche, the specific services your pharmacy provides and how you decided to actually focus on those services in particular and not others? It's a really good question and I think it comes back to matching the two up. So you've got to match up your own passion with the um, needs of community. I think if you have one without the other, then, you know, it's not going to work. I mean, sometimes it, it may and business models for different things will work, but I think it's easiest when the two of those, a passion that you have and uh, a need in the community align together. And so I was fortunate that my passion around opioid substitution and caring for for people who uh, had issues with addiction was an area that I was able to provide a service. And a lot of the service delivery 
that I developed as a dietitian in private practice was certainly a helping, like a helping hand in in being able to successfully implement that service and and working to you know what my full scope of practice is. And to be honest, scope of practice is really about as an individual pharmacist knowing what your own professional expertise and limitations are. And I think that we need to be less frightened of it and more embracing about where we know know, our limitations are. And I think that will take some of the fear away from it. In my situation, going from you know, not delivering. So we do a depot buprenorphine injection in the pharmacy and it's pharmacist administered. And so the journey to being able to provide that service took maybe 12 months to get there. And you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. And so when we first started the service, it was my understanding that pharmacists were not able to administer the injections. And so I set up the clinic with that in mind. So um, it was a case of getting a nurse in uh, to provide that injection. And I believed that this was the future of uh, opioid substitution. And so I wanted to be an earlier a doctor. I had a really good relationship with prescribers. And so I was asked by one of the clinics whether I would be able to support a young guy who obviously went wayward and was trying to get his life back together. And so that um, service was was a really important point of him being able to to get you know his life back together. And so we started that back in 2020. So I think the first injection that we had administered in the pharmacy was around September. And so we you know before I did that, obviously like anything you do your due diligence. So I needed to find out whether my insurer would cover me for it. And then, you know, you get advice around, okay, what procedures and policies do we have in place to to ensure that we're delivering that correctly? And so we did that. We set up things here. And then sort of midway through 2021, a colleague said to me uh, who works for the PSA, she said, John, there's no reason that you can't administer that injection. And so that's one of those, you don't know what you don't know. And so that then you know, created some curiosity and I started asking questions. And then uh, I think at that time, the depot injection was being administered in Victoria. So I went about finding out, well, okay, can we do this or not? And then I was able to contact the PRU uh, and get some advice on basically, will I lose my registration if I give this injection? And as, you know, a lot of regulatory units do, I got an answer that was completely um, Ambiguous? Ambiguous, completely, (laughs) mate. Like it was, there's nothing in the legislation that says you can't. And so I've always been of the opinion, if you haven't said no, then it must mean yes. And so that was, I guess, then another stepping stone towards, okay, well, what do we need as pharmacists to be able to administer that injection safely, both for the patient and for ourselves? And again, I'm really lucky. I've got a good relationship with the um, pharmacotherapy unit here at Hunter New England Health. And they were incredibly supportive of providing us with training. Uh, I went and uh, had to do some online OTAC training. And so getting myself and our, and our team here up to speed with how we're going to manage and provide that service. 
John, I just want to circle back around to how you actually decide what you're going to practice within the scope of practice, those options that you have to offer in a pharmacy. Now, this might be a little bit of a loose analogy, a little bit of a long bow to draw, but we were chatting off air about exercise and I mentioned that I just got back from swimming laps. And one of the reasons I swim is because I quite enjoy it once a week. And that's what I do with my exercise. I I pick things that I enjoy. I go swimming, some mountain biking. I go to the gym, a little bit of boxing. I enjoy it. It's not a chore for me, but we so often see people decide to get fit and they start running despite hating running or they join a gym where they really don't like it or feel comfortable in that environment. And we know that it is so hard to sustain that commitment when you just really don't enjoy it. It doesn't spark an interest. It doesn't engage you. It becomes a chore, a burden, and and, and we know people fall away. As such, how important is the passion and the interest in certain health services when deciding what you might practice in a pharmacy balanced with the actual community need? Because there may be a community need there, a real need, for example, diabetes services or sleep apnea services, but adding that to your scope could be unsustainable if none of the staff really have an interest and a passion in delivering it to the community. I think it's, again, a case of reaching out. So I spoke to the prescribers and there was that need for the service that they sort of told me and a number of patients would come in asking uh, about the service and so it sort of stemmed from that and I think you know like you said with the you know exercise is a great example you don't have to love every type of exercise there will be some that you you love and and some you don't and I guess again when we're talking about safety and we're talking about our own registration if you don't know what you're doing then just don't do it you know there's no point trying to provide a service that you're not qualified or you don't know Um, how to provide and I think it's about knowing your own limitations but equally knowing what areas you're competent in and you know you've got a a better skill set so I'm still uh, an accredited practicing dietitian and I still provide that service in the pharmacy and so as far as my scope of practice goes that then leads into diabetes and other things And, and I think if we look at nurses and, and um, nurse practitioners, they are able to prescribe for people with diabetes. And I think as a pharmacist with an incredible knowledge around medication coupled with that marriage of diabetes education as a course would be a, a really good example of being able to exercise that full scope of practice where there's a, a huge need. And at the moment, there's a massive need in the community, pharmacy has the capacity to fill in some of those gaps that uh, the healthcare system is just not coping with. What about your staff? They're talking to people on the front line day in, day out as well. They may have particular passions that might fit into the full scope of practice. And so you might be able to deliver some of those things in the pharmacy, but you do have a set business model at the moment. Do staff ever come to you with new ideas? Is that something that you encourage? And, and if so, how do you work through some of those ideas? Yeah. So, well, that happened this morning where uh, one of the pharmacists have expressed an interest in sleep apnea. And so again, you build a business case around it. Look at what the need is. Look at what the competition is. What are our, our break-even points? How many people do we need to serve or in order for that to to be financially viable. I think traditionally in pharmacy, we have 
used our script numbers as the only market economies, whereas we really do need to start looking at how these services themselves create income. And I think all pharmacists would agree that the vaccination and COVID vaccination has basically given us a kick up the bum to get service delivery in the front of our minds. And I think that we need to start looking at those services as businesses themselves and, and how our income is derived through those. Offering all of these free things supplemented by you know dispensary income or front of shop income you know, has to change. I don't think it's a sustainable model. And I think that people are increasingly seeing the value in what services we provide, whether that be, you know, more efficient access by not having to wait for an appointment, you know, at a GP that's not timely, that's probably the, the biggest one, or accident and emergency ambulance uh, where there's huge wait times and a number of those health problems can be solved in a community pharmacy. Really, they can. I think you make a very interesting point and clearly I'm not a pharmacist. I just host the podcast, but you speak to lots of pharmacists over the journey. It's an interesting point you make because it strikes me the dispensing, as you said, has underpinned the business numbers for so long in a lot of pharmacies. But as an average Joe, and I go to a pharmacy, I have to get a Webster pack once a month. Sometimes I might go to the doctor and I might need other pills. It can be quite transactional. They're just pills. There's no differentiator. I just go and hand in a script. I get given the pills. I know what I'm doing. I walk away. But these other services, instead of them being the thing that back onto the dispensing, if they're the things that actually bring people into a pharmacy and you're creating relationships and without putting too fine a point on it, a little bit of dependency, you're the person I go and speak to about sleep apnea. You're the person I go and speak to about my diabetes, but I also get my medicine from you as opposed to the other way around. Strikes me as a much more sustainable model. Absolutely. The other thing in pharmacy that we are really good at is that patient transition and communicating that to the rest of the team, uh, whether it's the GP or other health care professionals involved. We see these people much more often than anyone else. And so we're in a good position to be able to leverage off that from a business point of view to be able to show you know that that value. And that's really what when we talk about other pharmacy offers and how you um, differentiate yourself. And I think that's a really important one. It certainly has been an important one here. So finding those services that really accentuate your scope of practice as a pharmacist. And all right, we talk about scope of practice being things like you know, prescribing trimethoprim for UTIs, or but scope of practice could mean a lot of other things that may not necessarily mean that you need sort of further educational training. It can be an area in pharmacy that you are incredibly competent at, and that then you know enables you to provide advice or other things to, to other GPs or uh, other people in the community. So I think it's trying to look at it, you know, less one-dimensionally and, you know, looking at it as part of the bigger picture of, of healthcare and how you can provide some of those services. As a business owner, you appreciate that there are always risks, but there are also some incredible payoffs as well. So I'm wondering what sort of encouragement you can give to other pharmacists who are listening to the show right now, are listening to you speak, sharing your experiences, and maybe they are looking at their own business model and weighing up some of the risks. Do we 
maybe try and add these things onto our scope of practice or do we add 10 or five or just one? Can you offer any sort of encouragement to them about the financial viability? I mean, because they are running a business. Is it all worth it, do you think, to to start exploring some of these opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. I think the parts of it are around making sure that when you're planning a service that you have put numbers to it. We need, you know, you need to be thinking about the time that's allocated to it from a dollar value, what what that needs to bring into the business. And so that's certainly something that I've looked at and done and comparing it to other healthcare professionals using other allied health services as maybe an idea about what per hour you you should be charging. So that gives a, a bit of a baseline. I think the other part is making sure there's a really clear understanding and expectation for what the patient gets from the service that you're providing. So I think at times we're not good at communicating that. And sometimes we don't even know what that is. What is the outcome? What does the patient get? So we need to maybe define it a lot more clearly. So that way, you know, when you're promoting or telling people about the service that you're going to provide, that they know exactly what they're going to get. And I would also suggest to focus in on a couple. I, I think that you, you need to test the waters with it and, and you need to make sure that you can deliver it in a way that um, is consistent because if you do it half-assed, then you're going to struggle to demonstrate value to the people who are coming in and paying for it. I'm a marketer by trade, John, and I know you're on the show so the listeners can hear from you, but I might just indulge a little bit and, and back you up on that point when you're talking there about what the value is that you offer people. Because from a marketing perspective, when businesses quite often try and talk to people about services and products, they will focus on the features. We offer half-hour consultations. We can service your sleep apnea machine. We have this here or we do that and what the cl- the client or the patient actually takes away from that isn't the feature it's the benefit so if you do for example service sleep apnea machines i'm not even sure if that's a thing that pharmacists do but let's say that you do the benefit isn't that you're getting it serviced the benefit is you don't have to drive an hour and a half to the next place or pay for a courier so you the benefit is you save time or you save money or you can get all the advice you need under one roof or a one-stop shop So there's a real difference between what the features are and what the benefits are. And it's okay to talk about features, absolutely. But don't assume that your target audience, the patients, will understand implicitly what the benefits are because they don't deal with this stuff day in, day out. So you have to be really explicit about what the benefits are. So John, it's been a great journey for you. You've expanded the business. You've moved from being a dietitian, even though you said you're still registered and can practice, but you're a pharmacist, you're a pharmacy owner now. What lessons have you learned along the way? And it'd be great if there's any adaptions that you've had to make that you can share as well. Oh, gosh, man, where do you start and where do you finish with that? Oh, mate, so many mistakes, so many lessons. We don't have enough time, flat out. What (laughs) what I would say is that have some fun on the way. Make sure you do it with good people that you enjoy spending time with and value your staff. Your staff and the team that come on the journey with you are probably the most important thing because they're the ones 
every day turning up and, and helping you to implement some of these crazy ideas. Get good advice, have smarter people around you than what you are. And so I always um, stand true to that. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably the, the thing. And just keep putting your hand up is probably the other thing. Just keep putting your hand up. Keep putting yourself in the game uh, because that consistency over time does bring about change and, and, and rewards. It's great advice. And, John, it's been a great conversation. You've really hit on some important points about how pharmacists can sustainably work towards their own version of full scope of practice, whatever that might look like for them as an individual and also a business, a pharmacy. And as though you couldn't have any more strings to your bow, you spoke then about putting your hand up, keep putting your hand up, keep getting in the game, change happens. You've written a book as well. So before we wrap up, it'd be great if you could tell us about your book and how our listeners can access it for themselves and for their patients. Yeah, so I've written a book on thermogenics, or um, which is basically the energy used in digesting food. And so for people trying to lose weight, it's not just about counting calories, which we keep hearing more and more about. It's about choosing food that help your metabolism work better and work harder. So the book's available online and it's got a lot of practical advice and tips for people out there. So listeners, if you simply Google the Thermogenic Diet by John Jones, obviously you can get it on Amazon, Demix, Booktopia and the like. John, an absolute pleasure. A great chat around the pharmacy of the future. Very insightful. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing. My pleasure, Dan. John's story really does show the kinds of impact pharmacists are having right across Australia's community. As we celebrate World Pharmacists Day, it's a chance to reflect on recent achievements and the range of services pharmacists are providing. If you're enjoying our podcast, a reminder to give us a positive review wherever you listen to your podcast and definitely share it with your networks. Until next time, I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and you've been listening to episode 106 of the PCBN podcast. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.